Hi, I'm Chimzi. And I'm Hazel. I'm Malawian. I'm Scottish. And together in partnership, we're hosting the People to People podcast. In Chichewa, it's Antu Kwa Antu. We're exploring the unique partnership between Scotland and Malawi by having people to people conversations. We're having conversations with as many people as possible in Scotland and Malawi to try and really dig deep into what partnership means. And to find out how people connect with people. And in this episode, we're talking about the planet. We're going to hear from Malawian climate activists, Brenda Mwale and Edward Msisia. <laughs> but I kind of feel like it's high time we get to find other alternatives of energy rather than just a hydroelectric power. Yeah. Because right now, with the whole COVID-19 situation, things are getting worse because of power supply. You find that at a hospital, there's no power for like more than four hours, which is not acceptable. People are dying, you know. We also spoke about restorative climate justice with Evie Murray from Earth in Common. I suppose that's what restorative climate justice is at its heart. It's it's saying that that is not acceptable, you know, that it, it is already affecting us because it is affecting people all over the world. And we spoke with Lindsay MacDonald and Dr. Tiwonga Gawa about their conservation work. They all know about the pet insects that destroy. They know about them very well, but not those that are helpful. Let's let Andrew Namakoma, former chair of the Malawi and Scotland Partnership, set the scene for us. If it's not a drought, then it's floods. Or it moves from floods to drought. All right? So the rivers that used to have the waters throughout the year are no longer holding the water throughout the year. Now, this is such an important episode to make, isn't it, Jimsy? I mean, we're really talking about the partnership between one of the world's biggest polluters in Scotland and Malawi, who are going to be one of the worst affected countries. And in Scotland, despite some hopeful efforts recently, like the Scottish government setting quite ambitious targets and holding a climate assembly, for example... But in Scotland, we're simply not doing enough to take responsibility for the climate emergency on an individual level, on a government level, like on all the levels, there is not enough change happening. Yeah, you're right. Malawi, like many developing countries, are affected so much by climate change. And I think it's also important to note that there is a difference between the emissions of a country like Malawi or developing countries, which are there for survival, and those of developed countries like Scotland, which are there in the nature of lifestyle emission. Cooking on a fire because you don't have electricity, even though that does emit carbon into the air, it's not in the same category as someone who chooses to take the kids to school by car when they could walk. Yeah. I also don't think that we can really talk about the climate emergency and climate justice without going into the roots of our connection with the earth and without talking about biodiversity and without including a few nature sounds later on in the episode. This conversation is taking place in the run-up to COP26 being hosted by Glasgow. So do you know about COP26, Jimsy? Yes, I do know a little bit about COP26 and it's uniting the world to tackle climate change and they're going to have people from different countries to represent and help accelerate the action towards the goals of the Paris Agreement. 
We thought it was a good idea to speak to two young climate leaders in Malawi, Edward and Brenda, about what they think should be on the agenda. Shall we let Edward and Brenda introduce each other? I think we should. One guy who is very, very passionate, like one, like he's a climate change activist and advocate. Like we're born together, we roll, you know, <laughs> very well. <laughs> so he's someone that inspires me a lot. Like he's just all in, in like when it comes to do with climate change issues. Because Brenda is really active and is always there and uh, she's one of the creative and innovative girls. So did you know, Shimzi, that young climate activists like Edward and Brenda in Malawi are working in partnership with climate activists in Scotland through something called the Climate 2050 Group? You should get involved, Shimzi. You're young enough. I'm too old. I'll take the burden, Hazel. Don't worry. It's fine. Yeah. That's that's how this whole climate thing's going to work, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, yeah. Brenda is pretty cool. She is starting her own business for women, and they're going to start making recycled bags from Chitengis. And this is because plastic bags were banned in Malawi, which I think is a pretty cool thing for the country. Be teaching the girls how to make carrier bags. And do you have some chickens where you are? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. My sister has been trying to chase them away, but they keep coming back. Sorry, Brenda. Back to the bags. <laughs> Thin plastics have been banned in our country, but then they are not. Then we don't have alternatives. It's like we're trying to to solve the issue of thin plastics at the same time empower girls to be independent. And Edward is making briquettes, which I had never heard of before. Um, Edward says lots of young people in Malawi are making these. Have you heard of briquettes? No. Uh, before speaking to Edward, I'd never heard of briquettes before. Actually, matter of fact, I had to Google what they were after our conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not alone then. Because, for example, here in Malawi, most of the young people, they are do it's like they are making the briquettes, including myself. Uh, because at the same time, I'm making the briquettes, I'm cooking the briquettes, but the community... The majority of the community, they are not even aware of the briquette, uh, of using the briquettes. Of course, it can be the newspapers, the magazines, it can be the notepads. So any kind of uh, the waste paper, the banana residuals, especially the banana peels, we take them and we soak them for a week. We tend to, to take it to the, to the mortar and we, we pound it. After crushing them into smaller pieces, and then now we, we start pressing them using the hand so this is the formula whereby the community can use it without um uh, uh, involving the machines so we asked brenda and edward what they would like on the agenda at cop this year and there were three things do you remember the first i do the first one was about climate finance which brenda spoke really passionately about climate finance like should be on the agenda this is because um, I feel like, okay, during the, is it COP21? Different uh, organizations, different stakeholders, they made a pledge on, towards the climate finance to say this is how much we want to support developing countries like Malawi towards uh, different adaptation and mitigation measures that they have towards climate issues. But right now, it's only a fraction which is on the table. Like, People are not meeting their, their, their pledges, what they, they promised to happen, which is making it difficult for 
countries like Malawi to actually fully implement what's supposed to be implemented when we talk about issues to do with mitigation and adaptation. There's so many young people in our country who have so many innovative ideas, but they just don't have the resources and the funding and, you know, to carry on whatever innovations they want to go. So one thing that I really want to be discussed during COP26 is climate finance. I feel like we're going to keep coming back to this finance question and talking exactly about how that's done. Yeah. Okay, so the second thing that Edward wanted on the COP agenda... Was it about green energy? It was, yes. Well done. You know, Malawi is uh, already using the renewable energy because we rely much on hydroelectric power. But then if we can look on uh, the supply of this electricity, it's not that enough. At the same time, it is not uh, reliable because we have often blackouts. I feel like maybe someone is having a bad day in the office and they're like, Mzuzu, Katoto, turn off. Uh, Mzuzu, Luinga, turn off. And they'll they'll be like, sorry for the inconveniences we've caused. I'm like, why are you even apologizing? But I feel, Edward, do you also live in Nilongwe? Yes, I'm in Nilongwe. I feel like, you guys have it better, you know, You it's a little bit more developed than Zuzu, you have more electricity, but the further north you go, they forget about us. Forget. <laughs> exactly. They forget. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. And if you can go for, uh, like, in, I've been in Chitipa, which is part of the northern part. Chitipa, you can just count some of the areas where there is electricity, but, but I can say 60% of Chitipa district we don't have electricity. <laughs> so you can see. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 forgotten places. Exactly. <laughs> but I kind of feel like it's high time we get to find other alternatives of energy rather than just a hydroelectric power. Yeah. Because right now with the whole COVID-19 situation, things are getting worse because of power supply. You find that at a hospital, there's no power for like more than four hours, which is not acceptable. People are dying, you know, whilst on oxygen supply because there's no power. Exactly. If we can, if we can really reflect on this renewable energy, it means we can. We should now be looking at other alternatives apart from maybe just focusing, apart from just focusing or maybe just relying on hydroelectric power. Like uh, when we talk of bio, biogas, if you can talk of uh, the briquettes, all these are some of the alternatives that can be adopted by the government. Most African countries that are failing to like to rely or maybe invest enough in um, the solar energy, maybe because of the cost. We un- we remember here in Malawi, it's, uh, it should be back in 2018, 2019, the government tried to remove a taxation on solar panels, but then the implementation implementation was a big problem. So I would love if um, if at COP26 they can emphasize or maybe they can put a renewable and green energy as one of the agendas so that maybe this issue of climate finance, much of the resources, uh, much of the finances can be also allocated to this renewable energy because through that is where now we can solve this problem of the energy supply. For example, it's like basing on um, the energy resilience report of 2020. 81% of people, they are still using firewood. 16%, they are still using charcoal. 3%, let me say 2%, they're using electricity. 
and 1% is using green energy or new residual energy. Men would say, despite that we're talking of these alternatives, these alternatives of the biogas, when we talk of the solar panel, the solar energy, when we talk of the biogas, uh, when we talk of uh, the briquettes, all these alternatives, they are there, but then they need to be promoted. And they can be promoted only if it can be prioritized at the COP26 so that more resources should be, um, should be allocated to renewable energy. I've been doing my research and Edward's facts totally check out. Less than 2.3% of the total national energy demand in Malawi is met by electricity. Less than 14% of the 19 million people are connected to the national grid. Less than 14%. That's crazy. Are you surprised by that? Yeah. Yeah, I am. That's that's a small that's that's a small number of people who use electricity. You'd think Eskom would find it easy. <laughs> Imagine if they had to supply electricity to all 19 million. They would never do it. I feel that I feel very privileged now like so privileged to be like, "Oh, I complain when there's like no electricity for like 2 hours." I'm like, "Ah, oh, can't do this." And the, the the third thing, do you remember the third thing? Food security. Yeah, so we've been talking to lots of people about this one, haven't we? Can I just say one one thing? Yes. Yeah? Okay, so one other thing, like one thing that I really want people to discuss at COP26 as well as um, on top of what we've said, um, is on sustainable food systems in relation to agriculture and nutrition. Because everyone needs to eat, you know? And nutritious and safe food allows for healthy and productive lives. Food is as important as the air we breathe and the water we drink. But too many of the world's food systems are fragile. They are unexamined and vulnerable to collapse. And when our food systems fail, the resulting disorder threatens our education, our health, and our economy, including human rights, peace, and security. So as in so many cases, those who are poor or marginalized are the most vulnerable. And we need to act on sustainable food systems to reduce food loss and waste starting from agricultural practices to how food is processed and packaged and preserved. So my call to the government of Malawi and global leaders at COP26 is to support implementation of agricultural activities to ensure food, food security in the face of climate change and ensure the full institutionalization of agriculture through an agreement on modalities for implementation on agriculture in the UNFCCC. So that's one thing also I really want uh, to be prioritized at COP26 this year. Hi, I'm Hazel. I live on planet Earth. Hi, I'm Chimzi. I also live on planet Earth. And this is the People to People podcast. Made on planet Earth. This podcast aims to find out how people from Malawi connect with people from Scotland. Two completely different worlds. One planet. <laughs> <laughs> We're now going to share some of our conversation with Evie Murray from Earth in Common. Earth in Common had a partnership project with Living Trees of Livingstonia and Thrive in Malawi. Here's Evie, CEO of Earth in Common. Uh, for me, I've a bit, rarely been out of Leith quite a few years uh, prior and I do remember my friends sort of saying to me, 
you know, gosh, you've never been anywhere for ages and now you're all of a sudden you're going off to Malawi. It's just like the furthest place away that I could be going, you know. So um, I normally just do a 20 minute circle around, around Leith. When I said that I was going to Malawi, the amount of people that had said that they had also been to Malawi, whereas prior to that, I hadn't noticed so much connection between Scotland and Malawi, but there's a huge amount of people in in Edinburgh and probably all over Scotland that have connection with Malawi. So it's, you know, hugely special partnership. Through the whole three-year project of working in Malawi, it's actually been quite an important journey for us in terms of how it's transformed our organisation. We've actually created a concept place at the heart of international aid and, and development work that we do, which is uh, restorative climate justice. And we've written huge amount of important research and information into that sort of concept. Just to sort of tell you a little bit about restorative climate justice, it's a mix between climate justice and restorative justice. So really looking at, you know, the people who are the perpetrators of climate change, really looking at some meaningful contrition. Restorative climate justice is a name that we have given to lots of work that is already going on and we've just brought all that work together under one term. There's lots of examples of actual restorative climate justice where Indigenous knowledge is being valued and, and, and brought to the fore. It's really sort of born out of the project that we've done in Malawi where we felt that Indigenous knowledge should have been more at the fore of the project. We feel that it's important to bring it all together and to give a name to it so that we can push it uh, to be the very um, fundamentals of climate aid and that and that that is the criteria in which international aid is given that it is restorative climate justice and not just climate justice which is you know doing things that exasperate the problems and make things worse I suppose. We've only been developing this work over the last year since our project in Malawi finished. So it's very new. We're promoting it and trying to have as many people read it as we can get. And what does restorative climate justice look like in Scotland? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I suppose the reclaiming the common good land is all part of the restorative climate justice and putting people back in touch with land because there are many people, city dwellers, who are completely displaced from land. And we spoke before about the land clearances and how people were moved off into the cities. And really, I suppose people were cut off from their wealth. Their land was their wealth. And that was how they were able to nourish their families and what have you and then you had all the inner city sort of poverty and we're still kind of trying to redress that balance and I suppose restorative climate justice for us is about food sovereignty it's about people growing their own food and people understanding just how important the food system is to play our lives we are nature is often what I say um you know we are we are part of nature in busy city lives in in Leith for example, you know, nature has been sort of beaten back and people have tried to get rid of it because they, you know, poured concrete all over nature. And now we have this biodiversity crisis. Nature, by its very sort of presence, is actually very therapeutic. 
to people. And I think that children in Scotland suffer from nature deficit disorder, which is a real um, study by the National Trust um, that say that children actually need to spend more time in nature. And I think, you know, I suppose that's one contrast I would note with um, Malawi is when when you arrive there in northern Malawi and children are out playing in the river and swimming and and in nature and and really sort of uh, thriving. And in, in Scotland, what you tend to find is that children are on um, Xboxes and stuck indoors and, and really not thriving. And uh, the, the, the differences in Malawi and, and Scotland are, are stark and there's lessons to be learned from both um, from both places, I think. Evie went to Malawi to visit schools where they were helping to plant orchards. Many of the schools were in very rural areas and she shared with us some of her experience of travelling around. They're really, really remote. I think one day when we were going to the furthest away schools, we were walking for the entire day to get to these schools and over quite difficult terrain, you know, it was very hot and, you know, I'm used to Scottish weather, so it was really hot. And then just the the welcome that we got when we got there, you know, it was just uh, phenomenal. Evie shared a recording she made of one of these welcomes. Well, one day we were in uh, Livingstonia and we had decided that we wanted to go up to see the water table in Livingstonia. Joel, who is a dear friend who works in the Living Trees project in Malawi, had decided to take us on a shortcut (laughs) up a hill. And, you know, I'm pretty thankful for that shortcut. Plants slapping us in the face. We were a bit grazed and (laughs) we're climbing over pipework and stuff. And... But when we got there, it was just, you know, it was amazing. There was yellow and blue butterflies. It was just like such an untouched place and so remote that you could just, you could just tell that nature was just thriving there and really felt like you had just sort of walked into something pretty spectacular, just nature, just living in its own habitat, completely untouched. And it was just, it was so beautiful. I'm Hazel. I'm Chimsy. You're listening to the People to People podcast. Delving deep into the unique partnership between Scotland, where I'm from, and Malawi, where I'm from. And in this episode, we're talking about the planet. And I think this links in very nicely to our conversation that we had with Lindsay Antiwonge. So at People to People, we love hearing about friendships. And we spoke with good friends, Lindsay and Tiwonge. So Lindsay has volunteered with WESM. If you don't know what WESM is, it's the Wildlife and Environmental Society of Malawi. And Dr. Tawonge Gawa is a world-famous ornithologist. Speaking to her was absolutely incredible because for a woman in Malawi to have such a career is pretty cool. And we'll hear her talk more about that in another episode. But for now, this is Lindsay introducing her friend. Tawonge has been doing for many years studies into Lillian's lovebird, And she actually has probably saved that species. 
So that caught my interest. I wanted to find out a bit more about lovebirds. You've been doing some research into these birds, haven't you, Hazel? A little bit, yeah. So Lillian's lovebird is also known as the Nyasa lovebird. And it's mainly green and it has orange on its upper chest and its head. So did you see the picture? I did. Yes, uh, we were lucky enough. Lindsay sent us a couple of photos of the lovebirds and they look so cute and so small and they're very colourful little birds, aren't they? It is the smallest parrot in mainland Africa, just 13 centimetres or five inches long, and they live for 10 to 12 years. But its habitats are being exploited for agricultural purposes. So now you mainly find them in LNP. Which is Liwonde National Park. So we asked Tiwonge about when she first became interested in lovebirds. This was when we uh, participated in a game count uh, in Liwonde National Park in 2005. So there's a group of volunteers in the National Park and they're out counting the big mammals one day for a survey and they come across something unexpected. And when we were on that count is when we walked and we, we found a, a big water hole where all these birds were just dead. So Tawonge and the other volunteers come across a water hole which has been poisoned by hunters who are gathering doves for food. For me, the image that stuck with me is, I think these hunters, are because they also sometimes take the doves. So they had put like feathers, they'd taken out the feathers of the doves, they're all piled in a feather, there's like a huge pile. And I thought of how many doves had been taken out by this one waterhole. And it was at that waterhole that we also found the lovebirds there. There were some starlings, uh, some different types of birds that were there. And that image honestly just stuck with me. And it is what drove me when I, when I, I, I finished that walk and I said, I couldn't forget those, you know, though we were on the walk counting mammals, it was, it's a mammal count. But I could not forget that image of those, those birds lying on the, on the water hole and the feathers of the birds that had been taken out. And I also thought about healthy issues. I said, what they usually use a rat poison tannic to poison water holes. And I wondered about, well, if they've taken these doves that died because they had drunk this and people are going to eat them, what? Isn't there anything, you know? So it really bothered me. And that's what stepped me like, okay, this is, this is, I want to do a project on this. I want to find out. And my work actually started like that. Like, I want to find out how many times in the park are these incidences happening? Who is doing them? Can we do some community sensitization about them? And for of her uh, papers, she needed photographs of the, the lovebirds coming out of their roost. So she asked John and I, because she knew we were keen photographers, to sleep in the the environmental education dorms. Then at three o'clock in the morning, we got this knock. We had to get up, drive, and then walk through thick bush at dead of night, a kilometre and a half. And Tiwangi pointed to this tree at the top of the tree and said, Watch there. So we stood until dawn came. We got the camera focused on it. And we got about four photographs of these birds suddenly flying out of this tree. <laughs> so we'd had sort of three hours of the night walking, then standing in the bush. But anyway, we got her photograph for her, which was friendship is about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Ah, that's what friendship's about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what friendships. There's two birds just perching on the on on the hole just before they take off into the sky. Lovebirds are beautiful and they're they're geographically distinct. So if you see lilies in one area, you won't see any other sort of lovebird there. You see then a different one in Tanzania. So Lindsay has sent us the photo and don't worry, uh, we are going to post them on our social media channels. So if you're not following us, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and you can see the little lovebirds. And loads of other interesting links to what we've discussed in this program. So please do like us and share us and tell a friend. But before we end this episode, I just wanted to play another part of the conversation that we had with Tawonge, where she talks about the importance of pollinators. And the fact that there isn't a word for pollinators in Chichewa. So interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So here she is talking about that. On a small project where we are looking at educating farmers on pollinators. And it, it was just blow me away how farmers don't know. So when we're going to their field and we explain to them more, oh, we are looking for, uh, uh, in Chichewa, we say, Dizrombo Tokwatisa and Beu. You know, it's the pollinator. That's the translation we've made for pollination because there is no word for it in Tijewa, you know, or I, or in Tumbuka. There's, there's, there isn't, which means we haven't been teaching these things, and they are all surprised. They all know about the pests, insects that destroy. They know about them very well, but not those that are helpful. So that that is for me. It's very. Um, it's a a warning sign. People only want to talk about the, the, the big five. Like now, you know, the people want to visit Majeti and Liwonde because there's the cheetahs have come and the big elephants and things like that, which is great. And we want people to appreciate those things. But I feel we are, we are at a point where we now also need to shade light on our small fives that need just as much attention. If you were to have um, Malawi's small five, what would they be? Ah, okay. I'll definitely have a bee in there. I would, uh, mm-hmm. I would have some an earthworm in there. Well, we have to put Malawi has one only one endemic bird, so I think we'd have to put it in there. <laughs> we'd have to put it in there. The yellow-throated apalis. Okay, the Chapman's chameleon. <laughs> also endemic, and it's found in a small forest which is actually community protected at the moment. Um, down in Sanjay, absolutely, you've caught me off. I have to think through this one. Right. <laughs> um, I'm thinking whether to, whether to put a butterfly. <laughs> I put. I'll probably put uh, the Caraxes zombana, which is an endemic species as well, found in um, in the mountains, Zomba Mountain, Malosa. There's another one, and I think it would be a tie between that one and there's one also that is in Chitipa in Mugese Forest. I don't even have a dragonfly, and those are nice. <laughs> there have to be some very big competitions. Right, we are coming to the end of this episode, but not the end of this topic. I feel like it's going to be relevant throughout this podcast series. If you enjoyed this episode, I think you'd enjoy our conversation with Professor Robert Kalin from Strathclyde University in our People and Purpose episode. It's it's really important that people recognize countries like Malawi are really, really sensitive to these climate change issues. 
because it might actually impact their ability to manage COVID. It also might impact their ability to produce food security, um, or it might also impact things like um, the energy security as well. Um, how do you get something like that onto the stage at a big meeting like like um, COP26? Well, hopefully, because of our special relationship, and actually the special relationship also extends down to to the whole of the UK, because there there are actually groups that work in Malawi and, and across the entire United Kingdom. Hopefully, maybe Malawi could be one of the case points for those countries that are really at risk of things like climate change. I think that the conversation about the climate runs through all of our episodes. Almost every other issue is connected, don't you think? Yeah. It is. We want to include as many people as possible in this conversation. We do. So please join us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Email us at peopletopeoplepod at gmail.com. And if you know someone who cares about the planet or someone who you think should care a bit more about the planet, then do pass them this episode. Send them a link. In this episode, you heard from Andrew Namakoma, Brenda Mwale, Edward Msisia, Evie Murray, Lindsay MacDonald, and Dr. Tawonga Gawa. It was produced and presented by Hazel Darwin Clements and me, Chim Zidori, and was supported by the Scotland Malawi Partnership. So we have a real treat to end this episode. Today, it seems appropriate to be played out with some sounds of wildlife in Malawi. And this was recorded by Frode Falkenberg, and it's called Kasungu Soundscape. global warming is yeah it this is it